Well, I was going to ask, does anyone want to guess where we're going to be today? But the screen gives it away. We're back in Luke chapter 15 today, so if you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, please find your way over to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to finish off our look at the parable of the prodigal son with this final message that I've titled, The Empty Chair at the Thanksgiving Celebration. And collecting our thoughts around this idea, I just want to share with you a story I heard of a good old farm boy who was working on a Thanksgiving day. I mean, if you've grown up on a farm, you know there are no holidays. There are no days off. The farm needs to keep, keep running. But this, this farm boy was working on Thanksgiving day when he accidentally overturned his wagon load of corn out in the road. Now, his neighbors had just settled in for their Thanksgiving meal when they heard all of this ruckus outside of this cart being turned over. And so the patriarch of that family, the patriarch of the neighbors, went out to investigate. And when he found that this boy had overturned the wagon and the the corn had spilled everywhere, he said, hey, neighbor, why don't you forget your troubles for a spell and just come in and have dinner with us? Then we'll help you get this wagon up. Well, the boy said, that's that's mighty nice of you, sir. but, But I don't think my older brother would like for me to do that. Now, the neighbor insisted, and, and he said, oh, come on, boy. Come on in and, and just relieve your troubles and enjoy this meal that we've got prepared. Well, the boy finally reluctantly agreed, and he went inside, and he quickly filled himself up with turkey and stuffing and gravy and pumpkin pie and all those things that some of you are looking forward to on Thursday. And then he thanked his host for his generosity, and he said, I feel a lot better now, but I, I just don't know if my older brother is going to like this. I think he's going to be really upset with me. And so the neighbor said, surely your brother won't be upset about you just taking a little break from your day for for a free meal. I mean, there's plenty more here if he wants to come and eat. And by, by the way, where is your older brother? And the younger brother said, oh, he's just outside. He's under the wagon that turned over. Well, it would seem like that neighbor's Thanksgiving table could have used one more chair. One more person should have been invited in, but he was not present to help those others who were celebrating Thanksgiving together. And that's a pretty similar sort of situation. And what we're looking at today in Luke chapter 15 is we tackle our third and our final message on what is known as the parable of the prodigal son. Or that word prodigal we talked about the last couple of weeks could just as easily be translated as squandering. The squandering son. The son who took his father's inheritance and who squandered it away. And by this point in the parable, that's what we've encountered. We've already seen this shocking and shameful action by this younger son who cashed in early on his father's inheritance, essentially saying, I would rather have your inheritance than to have you. I would rather it be as though you were dead and I had the riches of your household. And he's cast all of that in so that he could move to a foreign land. And as he moved to that foreign land, we found that he squandered all of that away with loose living. But that son who was eventually driven to poverty and hunger and shamefully resigning to feed pigs for his work has now come to his senses as he has remembered the goodness of his father, 
who always, he remembered, his, his father always gave his hired men more than enough bread. And so he's thinking good things about his father, and he's resolved at this point to go home, confess his wrongs, and to even beg his father for an opportunity not to be restored to the family, but just an opportunity to work. I mean, let me work for you. Let me attain the good provisions that you give to your other hired men. All of that so that he can attain the food that he's there in the midst of the pig pen realizing he does not have as he's coveting even the pods that those pigs themselves were eating. But we've seen that as this son is resolved, as he's come to his senses, as he's on his way back to his father, that even while he was still on his way, even before he arrived at his father's house, his father has been searching for him. And so he ran out when he saw him cresting the hill on the horizon, and he greeted his son. With glad greetings, with a greeting that brought out the best robe and put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. And as we come to the passage that we're going to focus on today, the prodigal has now come home and has been welcomed back by his father, not as a hired hand, but as a full son. And we talked last Sunday about how this depicts God's warm welcome of the repentant sinner back into his heavenly family. And now that the younger son in this parable has come home, the father has ordered a great celebration. The fattened calf has been slaughtered. And everyone in the village has been invited to come and to celebrate this father's gracious reception of his dead son back to life again, of his lost son back to being found in the family. And everyone is celebrating, everyone that is except for the older brother of the one son who is returning now, who today we're going to see has not joined the others in the great celebration. The father is celebrating, he is rejoicing, his heart is bursting with joy at his son's return, and everyone else who gathers here at the reception with him is celebrating that the son has come home. They're celebrating that the father has shown great mercy and great grace in welcoming his son back as a son. They're all a product of this father's celebration. They're all there enjoying the merits of this father's grace. They're all giving thanks together for this father's goodness. And while there are many passages that we could focus on that that kind of contain this theme of thanksgiving, because thanksgiving is a way of life if you know our God. While there are many passages we could focus on, the passage that, that we're here at today seems very appropriate for our consideration on this last Sunday before Thanksgiving. Because that's the practice that this oldest son in this passage refuses to do. He refuses to give thanks. His lost brother has come home, and yet he refuses to join the celebration. And so now, while it's never explicitly mentioned, there is an empty chair at the Thanksgiving celebration that the father of this parable has commissioned in order to celebrate his lost son coming home. And it's the chair that should be occupied by his older son, who now refuses to come in. And the finding of the lost has been our steady focus for these past five weeks as we've seen how Jesus, in Luke chapter 15, has turned our attention to what we've described as God's lost and found. 
That's kind of the title of this sub-series of messages all in Luke chapter 15. We've seen over and over again in Luke chapter 15, our God's heart for the lost. He has the heart of the shepherd of a hundred sheep who leaves the 99 behind so that he can go after the one that is lost. He has the heart of the woman who has 10 coins, but who goes into this all-out search mode, sweeping the floor, lighting the lamp, so that she might find the one coin that has been lost. And in this parable of the prodigal son, we find that God is the father who relentlessly searches until his one lost son comes home. But in today's passage, we find there's yet another one, yet another one who is lost. And it's the son whose chair remains empty at the Thanksgiving celebration. It's the older son, the brother of the prodigal, who refuses now to come in and to join the celebration, his father's celebration of the lost and found. So let's turn now together to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 25, kind of picking up where Jesus turns the spotlight to this third character that has received our attention in the parable of the lost son. The third main character we see in this parable picks up in verse 25. If you're able, I'd ask that you would stand together with us that we might honor the reading of God's word as we begin in Luke 15, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of his servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, that is the older brother, became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As this passage begins, there's a great and a thankful celebration for this younger formerly rebellious son who has now come home. And the celebration is so great that as his older brother even comes near the house, he hears the music and the dancing before he enters into the house. But as we just read, he refuses to go in. He refuses to express his thankfulness in spite of what he hears. In his anger, this, this older son has chosen to remain outside of the house. He's chosen to remain outside of the place of the celebration. He's chosen to remain where he is, where there is no joy. And it's all out of a spirit of unthankfulness. 
And it's going to be helpful for us to remember that Jesus spoke these words into a context that began back in Luke chapter 15 in verses 1 through 3. With all the tax collectors and the sinners coming near to Jesus to listen to him. And Jesus welcomed them near because they were the lost that God was searching to find through him. And just beyond them, we had those scribes and those Pharisees, the religious elites of that day, who were meticulous in observing God's law. They were meticulous in doing everything they thought would earn them a right standing before God. They presumed that they had never been lost. They presumed that they were in God's family because they had earned their way into his family. And so they were incredulous to see this supposed man of God, this Jesus who is welcoming the worst of the worst to gather near to him. And so they began to grumble in verse 2, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. It was a repulsive idea in their minds. They couldn't imagine how a representative of God could do such a thing. And Jesus, as he gives these parables, is speaking into this context. He's speaking to the needs of two groups in particular with this series of three parables that he shares. First, he's conveying to the sinners that are gathered there near to him that God is searching for them. But he's also conveying to those who are just beyond them, those who are among the Pharisees and the sinners. He's conveying to them that they're grumbling Against God's search for sinners indicates that they have missed God's heart for the lost and found. And the reality of that moment is this. The scribes and the Pharisees are the ones who are outside of the house. They are the ones who are refusing to come in. They are associated with the older son because they are bitter about God's generosity toward more apparent sinners than themselves. And then in this passage, Jesus launches into a warning against those who refuse to give thanks when they see God's grace on display. And you know, in this prosperous and in this entitled land in which we live, this is a warning that we all need to hear. Because if we're not careful, we may slip into an attitude which spurns gratitude that reveals that we, in fact, are the ones whose chairs are empty at the Thanksgiving celebration. And friend, I just want to ask you, are you living a life of Thanksgiving? Has God's grace in your life turned every moment into a time of Thanksgiving? Not just a single day of celebration, but a lifestyle that consumes every moment of every day for you. If not, then you may need to heed the lessons that this older brother shows us in this passage. In fact, I want to share with you from this passage four signs that you may be leaving your chair at the Thanksgiving celebration empty. Here's the first. You may be leaving your chair at the Thanksgiving celebration empty if you are betraying God's passion. If you are betraying God's passion. That's what this older son in the parable was doing right from the outset. Though the father was searching for his lost son, his older son had not been a part of the search. He had not been there with his father looking around the horizon, going to the places, trying to find his brother. No, he had found something that he thought was better to do. He had occupied himself in the field 
That is, he was refusing to join his father's search and rescue team. He didn't see his brother coming from afar because he was preoccupied with his other duties. He wasn't looking forward to his brother's return. And in fact, as far as he was concerned, we can see this from his attitude later in the passage, he would have been happier if his brother had never come home. And so when the son who came home launches in with his father into this celebration, this oldest son saw no reason to celebrate. Why? Because this son shared his father's house but he did not share his father's heart. That is, he was betraying his father's passion. If this son truly loved his father, if he was truly grateful for what his father provided for him, then he would have shared his father's passion to see his lost brother come home. If he had joined his father's search for his lost brother, if he had been there in the midst of his father looking on the horizon, then surely he would have joined. There would have been no hesitation for him to join the great celebration when that which he was searching for came across the hill. And yet that's not how things work out for this brother. When he senses the celebration... He gets suspicious and he inquires to figure out what's going on. And when he learns of his father's generosity, far from giving thanks, he becomes angry and he refuses to go in. And now this father who has already suffered so much shame from his youngest son. If you remember the shame associated with how the son would have had to have taken his third of the inheritance and sold it if he was going to cash out in a way that he could take those proceeds into a foreign country. And all the community would have known this land's being sold, this, sold, this, this son is no longer in his home. There would have been great shame associated with that. But then the, the father even bears even more shame as the son comes home. And he's been there among the pigs and he smells like the pigs and looks like a guy who's been rolling around in the mud. And yet the father runs to him and covers his shame with his own robe. But even as this father has experienced so much shame to this point, he suffers an even greater shame from his older son, who now conveys by his actions that he thinks his father is wrong to celebrate this prodigal's return. Now it would have been clear to the whole town at this point that there was a domestic dispute going on between this father and his oldest son. I mean, the the whole community is gathered here. The whole community is here for the celebration. And the older brother has decided now to cause a scene. But oh, how patient and how passionate we find this father to be. He doesn't rebuke his son. He doesn't say, if you don't want to celebrate, that's fine. You just stay here and enjoy your misery no this father who had previously gone after his younger son now goes after his older son and we read in verse 28 that his father came out and began pleading with him he began pleading with him that word pleading is is has the same root as as parakaleo we call it the holy spirit our paraclete because it's what the bible refers to him as our helper our, our pleader, the one who pleads with us. And, and here is the father. He's pleading with his son. 
He's trying to help him to realize the importance of coming back into the house. He has a passion to see his family together. He doesn't want anyone to be left out. But this oldest son, this older son is betraying his passion. And you know, a good indicator of our current status of thanksgiving for our Heavenly Father's provisions is whether or not we are willing to share in our good Father's mission. If we are not going after the lost ones, then we are probably not going to join in on the Thanksgiving celebration when they are found. In fact, if we're not going after the lost ones, it may well be because we haven't come to know the joy of being found ourselves. And so, friend, I just want to ask you, are you betraying God's passion? What are you looking to as your source of your greatest celebration and your greatest joy? If it is not the rich grace that God provides equally to you and to others who are lost and in need of being found, then you're probably going to find that whatever you are pursuing is going to end up with an empty joy. You'll get the car, or you'll get the house, or you'll get the relationship, or you'll get the job, or you'll get the next fix, or whatever it is. And you'll find that it only leaves you with emptiness and regret. It will never satisfy you with an everlasting satisfaction like only our God can offer to you. Because there's no lasting joy in these temporary pleasures. But if you will turn your celebration and your joy to God's rich provision of grace and an eternal home for you, then you will never come up empty. And the first sign that you may be leaving your chair at the Thanksgiving celebration empty is that you are betraying God's passion. Here's the second one. You may be leaving your chair at the Thanksgiving celebration empty if you are boasting in your performance. That's what the older son does in verse 29. He starts to call out his resume as if his father wouldn't know. I mean, he's been living there with his father, right? And he says, look there in verse 29, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. That is, this son thinks he's got a perfect track record. And do you know what's the irony in the words that he speaks right then and there? Even as he says this, he is neglecting a command that his father has just given him. His father is pleading with him to come back into the house and he's refusing to do that as he says, I've never neglected a command of yours. That's the trouble of boasting in our own performance. When we get all high and mighty on the good things that we've done, we've got a tendency to focus on what we've done right and to miss the things that we've done wrong. This father wasn't after his son's service. He didn't want him to be a hired man. He didn't want him to be a slave. He wanted his son's heart. And that's the same for you, friends. You'll never, no, never, no, never, never, never earn God's love through your deeds of righteousness. You'll never be able to serve him and never neglect a command of his perfectly. It's not within our nature. 
The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. And God has made it very clear what he feels about our good works. He's not building up an eternity for us where we can just hang around and boast about the good things that we have done. No, if you've been saved, it's by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works as we read in Ephesians chapter 2. And if you're on the performance track as it relates to earning a right standing with God, then you should know you're on a track that leads to disaster. But this brother, he thought he had it. And those Pharisees and the scribes thought they had it. They were too busy boasting in the good things that they had done to see how they had missed God's heart for the lost that had gone astray. And that's a danger for all of us as well. If you look at the church and and you see those who are in the church and you know the track record of those who are in the church, you may be prone to say that's just a bunch of sinners who've done way more wrong than they deserve to be forgiven. And if you say that, you're right. But if you don't count yourself in our number, then you're probably in a very great danger. Because if you can't love the broken sinners that have come to know Christ for new life, then you're probably far from the heart of the God who loves those same broken sinners. If you can't celebrate the wrongdoers who find the right maker, then it's probably a good indication that you're like this older brother who reveals that he doesn't love his brother or his father. He only loves himself. That is, he is not living by the great commandment. You remember Jesus gave the great commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This brother is not doing either of those. He's out of sync with his father. He's out of sync with his brother. He's not living by the great commandment. In fact, what this son really hated was what he ultimately needed. He needed his father's grace. And be sure, my friends, that you don't get on the performance track and find yourself hating the only thing that can meet your need, which is the grace of God. That's not a place to be. That's not a safe place for Christians to think they're going. And in fact, that would not be Christians at all. You see, the proud and the self-righteous always feel that they are not treated as well as they deserve. This son has been all about his father. He's been around him. He's been serving him. But he apparently does not know his father very well. Contrast that with this younger brother. This younger brother who's gone astray. This younger brother who's betrayed his father but now comes to him in humility. What does this younger brother discover? He discovers just how full of grace his father is. And look, friends... If you'll get off of the performance track and you make a beeline for Jesus, you're going to find just how gracious our God is. He welcomes you into the house as you are. He simply calls for you to entrust your life and your eternal safety to Him. And He does all the rest. 
He accomplishes it all on his own. None of us deserves that kind of grace, but still God sent his only son to walk our side and to breathe our air and to bear our burdens and to pay the penalties for our sins. Still, God let his son die on a cross as the perfect substitute to satisfy his wrath against sinners like you and me. Not because of anything that we've done, not because of the performance track, but because of his grace fueled by his love. And God brought that same only son of his up out of the grave as a promise. That if you'll place your everlasting trust in him, he will restore you to life as well. True life, eternal life. And so I ask, do you want to be found? Do you want to have true life? Do you want to live eternally in the Father's dwelling and join in the celebration of the ages of God's lost and found? Then get off of the performance track and trust in Jesus. Because look, only the self-righteous critic fails to join the party. Everybody else is there, but the self-righteous critic is on the outside. Or to say that another way, heaven never holds a party for a self-righteous man or woman. The second sign that you may be leaving your chair at the Thanksgiving celebration empty is that you're boasting in your performance. Here's the third. You may be leaving your chair at the Thanksgiving celebration empty if you are blind to your possessions. The older son throws a bit of a party of his own here in verse 29, but it's a pity party, okay? And the pity party that he's throwing here is, is something that he does as he accuses his father after all of his service of never even giving him a young goat so that he could celebrate with his own friends. But that's not true at all. In fact, the father clues the son in on what he's been missing here in verse 31 as he says, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. That is, all of the father's riches were at the son's fingertips. He was living in his father's house. He was eating his father's food. He was wearing his father's clothes. And so he, all that he had was a product of his own father's provisions. He was blind to his possessions. And the father who made them available, he was blind to him as well. If he had only asked his father, who was so rich in grace, this father who who gave even to his hired hands more than enough bread to eat, surely this father, surely this good father would have given him anything that he needed. Because a good father gives good gifts to his children. And a father who loves the son in need bountifully makes himself available to meet those needs through the gifts that he gives. But this son wanted to earn it rather than to receive it as a gracious gift. And so when he couldn't earn it, he essentially cried out those famous words for parents of two or more children that we've heard far too many times. Those two words, not fair. How many of us have heard those words? That's not fair, yeah. Now, as a side note, I think my kids have have learned to stop telling me that the way I resolve their disputes is not fair. Why? Because when I hear them say that, I say to them, whoever said anything had to be fair? Look, I'm striving to be a good father to them. 
I'm, that means sometimes I may determine that one of them needs to receive grace while the other one needs to receive wrath. Because I'm trying to point them in a positive direction. I'm trying to steer them down a road that's going to grow them in their maturity. Does that mean I'm going to get that decision right all the time? Absolutely not. Do I have to make myself available for appeals? Yes, I do. But the fact that I don't resolve every situation where you get the same amount as you get doesn't mean that I am not trying to be a good father. It means I'm trying to speak to the needs of your life, and I'm trying to speak to the needs of your life as well. And that means sometimes it's not going to be fair the way we resolve these things. But even though it's not fair, it's going to be good. And look, if we're honest, we've all felt the urge to declare that life is not fair at one point or another. We've all found those moments when we can relate to this older brother. We feel the sting of incidents that don't go as we plan. Sometimes we feel the sting of those who've done us wrong. And even sometimes those ones who've done us wrong receive the advantage that we thought that we deserved. And we feel like life is selling us short. But if we truly understand the nature of our wrongs against the holy God who is our heavenly Father, we'll realize that the only thing that is not fair is the fact that we get to live on His earth and breathe His air and walk on His side. The fact that we would receive his grace and have an opportunity to be forgiven of our sins is the greatest inequality of all. But that's what makes grace, grace. It's not what's fair. It's what God lavishes on us in love. He doesn't give us what's fair. And if you're living a life of thanklessness because you feel like life has treated you unfair, you've gotten the equation all wrong, my friends. If you're still able to live, if you're on the positive side of an unfair equation, if you're living, you're on the positive side of that unfair equation that is recipient of the grace of God. And so hear me on this, friends. None of us has been given what we deserve. Not yet, at least. If you're still breathing, you're still processing, you still have an opportunity to hear God's call to receive His grace in this moment then you haven't received what's fair. And so I just I'd say to you, never ask God to give you what you deserve. For the wages of sin is death. If he gives you what you deserve, then you'll face his wrath. We're all sinners. From the pimps and the prostitutes and the drug dealers and the thieves to the buttoned-up churchgoers that lie in our cushioned seats. And the only hope for any of us is God's grace which he lavishes on us in Christ. And this older brother, he thought that he had never been given a time or an animal or a friend so that he could celebrate. But he was so blind because all of those things were right there before him. If only it would align his heart with his father's heart and enter into his father's house. Because the friend to celebrate with was this brother of his which had come home. The time to celebrate was now. The animal that was just freely offered to him was the fatted calf which had been slain. And the father said, come and enjoy the feast. Come in and enjoy the celebration. But this self-righteous older brother determined that he would rather nurse his pride 
then enjoy the celebration that was rightfully his to enjoy. And listen to me. Plenty of people miss their share of happiness, not because they haven't found it, not because they haven't received it, but because they haven't stopped to recognize it or to enjoy it. And I just ask, is that you? Are you so focused on wrongs that you perceive that you can't see the grace that you've been shown? Just take a step back. Take a look around. All that is good in your life is beyond what you deserve. So don't be blind to your possessions. Because the third sign that you may be leaving your chair at the Thanksgiving celebration empty is that you're blind to your possessions. Here's the final one. You may be leaving your chair at the Thanksgiving celebration empty if you're bitter towards God's people. You're bitter towards God's people. That's certainly the attitude of this son toward his own brother. He's bitter. Back in verse 28, we read, he became angry. And that word angry in the original Greek is from a word that means wrath in the original Greek. It is a a word that describes a brooding and simmering anger that is nurtured, an anger that is not allowed to die. That's the sort of anger that's often found in individuals who hold a grudge or individuals who smolder with bitterness and refuse to forgive someone else. It's the anger that cherishes resentment and does not want reconciliation. And old friend, do not fall into that trap. Don't simmer with anger and bitterness toward your brother whom God loves. This older brother's anger had gotten so out of hand that he's practically written his brother out of his life. He's written this relationship off. And so when the servant says in verse 27, your brother has come, he doesn't accept that title. He's not going to own up to the fact that this is his brother. Instead, he confronts his father about his dealing with this son of yours. In verse 30. But the father is not content to leave him with that bitterness. He doesn't want a divided or a disowned family. And so he reminds his older son of the younger brother's relationship to him in verse 32. That's where he says, this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He needs to be reminded of the relationship. Because this older brother in this moment can't see the relationship. He can't see the family love. All he can see is the wrong that's been done to him. And when he speaks of his brother, the only words he can speak about him are the words of what he's done wrong. He's nothing more than a washed up sinner who's devoured his wealth with prostitutes. He's deserving of wrath. That sounds a lot like what the Pharisees and the scribes were conveying about those who were close to Jesus, does it not? They grumbled because he welcomed tax collectors and sinners to eat with him as though those people weren't worthy of the time of day. And so they, like this older brother, are left with no thanksgiving. And you know, some individuals would rather nurse a grudge than enjoy the fellowship of God and his people. They'd rather stay outside of the Thanksgiving celebration than be reconciled. And because they will not forgive, they have alienated themselves from the church and even from their own families. They're sure that everyone else is wrong, that they alone are right. They can talk loudly about the sins of others, but they are blind to their own sins. 
And some of you may be like those Pharisees. Some of you are content to leave sinners in the big bin. But listen to me, friends. The Savior wants them to find their way back to the Father's house. So if you're nursing a grudge, you should know that no matter how much you nurse, it's not going to get better. You're only hurting yourself. I heard of a little boy who was sitting on a park bench. He was in obvious pain. And a man walked up and asked him what was wrong. And this boy said, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. Well, the man urgently asked, well, why don't you just get up? Well, the boy said, because I figure I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. And that's how some of us handle holding a grudge. Some of us handle holding on to bitterness. We endure pain for the sadistic satisfaction and the belief that we're hurting the one who's offended us more than they are hurting us. But when we get off of the bench of bitterness, we find that we were the ones bearing the greatest burden, the greatest pain. And the Father's heart is not for any of us to stay outside of the Thanksgiving celebration with bitterness toward His people. And so I ask you, who are you bitter against that God loves? Who can you go after laying your bitterness in the dust to share your heavenly Father's heart? Because the Father in this parable reflects the heart of God when He says, we had to celebrate and be glad. That is, this, this is written as a necessity. This is something that we had to do. We had to celebrate. We had no choice. Why did this father have to celebrate? Why does our heavenly father have to celebrate when the lost are found? Why are there rejoicings among the angels of heaven when simply one sinner repents? Because of who our God is. Because He is a good Father. And He must rejoice in His lost and His found sons and daughters whom He loves with a perfect love. And joy is the only possibility for Him. Not to rejoice would be to deny the very nature of who He is as a God of love. And so if you're here today and you are in the state where you find yourself as the one who's gone astray, you find yourself as the one who's wandered away and squandered it all, you find yourself in the midst of a pursuit of pleasures that ultimately leaves you empty and feeling that there should be so much more that you just can't get a hold of. Well, let me just say, don't let those who are on the outside telling you that you'll never make it, telling you that you're worth nothing. Don't let those older brothers like we see in this parable keep you from coming into the house. You see, if this, if this younger brother had considered his brother and what he might think, he might never have come home. If he only considered how his brother said, you'll never be worth anything, you're never going to amount to anything, then he may never have come home. And maybe you've got individuals who are speaking that falsity into your life. They're speaking that lie into your life and telling you you're never going to amount to anything, so you might as well just give up the whole pursuit. You've, you've crashed it all. You've burned it down. You've left nothing but tragedy in your wake. Don't listen to those voices, my friends. 
Listen to the Father who calls you home. Listen to the one who searches for the one who is found. Listen for the one whose heart is for you to be restored. The one who welcomes you into the family. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've wronged him, the one who says, come and be a part of my family. Receive my love. Enter into my joyous celebration. And then for those of us who have found this joy, oh friends, let us share our Father's passion. And I just want to ask you once more, who's your one? Who's the one individual that you've identified that is in need of this gracious mercy of the Father who receives, the Father who forgives, the Father who welcomes individuals into the family? Who needs this message that God welcomes no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done? Who is your one that you are practically praying for and striving to reach with the hope of Christ? that you're strategizing for and saying, God, I'm not, a, I'm not a fanciful speaker, but I just ask you, give me, give me the words, give me the situations, give me the opportunity to speak truth into this life. Do you have that one? Because our, our God has shown us over and over again here in Luke chapter 15 that he goes after the one. His heart is for the one. His heart is for anyone that is apart from him. His celebration is not complete until the house is full. And so for some of you, that means you're going to encounter this week maybe ones in your family or ones in your circle or ones at your workplace that you wouldn't typically have this same sort of opportunity to speak to because of what the celebration of Thanksgiving brings. I just want to ask, are you using that for the glory of God? Are you entering into His mission? And, you know, it's interesting here that as this parable ends up, Jesus doesn't tell us the resolution. He he doesn't close out the story for us. He doesn't tell us, well, either, you know, the son stayed out and he remained with his arms crossed over and he built a new hut and said, I'm going to live here. He doesn't tell us that the older son said, okay, you know, Father, I, I recognize your heart. I recognize I've done wrong. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to come now into your house. Jesus doesn't give us the resolution of this story because the resolution was not in the characters of the story. The resolution was in the audience, in the ears that were listening to what he was saying. The resolution could only come from those scribes and those Pharisees and those who are gathered here in this place today who would say, am I willing to go into the house? Am I willing to acknowledge the Father's heart and to join in the Father's mission and to come into the Father's celebration? Jesus ultimately leaves that decision open because it's the decision not that he needs to make as a part of the story, but the decision that you need to make as a part of whether or not you're going to join that story of all the ages, of all the redeemed, of all the celebration, of all those who are lost and yet have been found. Is that where you are today? Is that where you need to be? We're going to close with a time of invitation where I'm going to invite you to join the lost and found. To join those not who have gotten it right, but but to join those who have failed miserably and have found a God who welcomes miserable sinners home. Because that's where I find myself. And His grace toward me is so rich. And so many of you could give that same testimony. But if you are apart from Him, my heart, 
His heart is for you to be found. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? God, we thank you for the abundant grace, the undeserved love that we find in our Father who welcomes the sinner home. But the sinner who's been lost in squandering all that he has and also the sinner who's been cleaning it up all on the outside but still miserable on the inside trying to earn it on his or her own. God, I know we've got individuals who would be in both of those categories who gather here. And Father, I just pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, by the surety of the grace you've shown us in Christ, that you would compel anyone who is outside the house to come in. Father, do what what you do as a loving Father. Plead with these individuals who are apart from you, Lord, those who are outside of the house, those whose chairs of Thanksgiving celebration are empty. Plead with them that they might come in, O Lord. I just pray, O Lord, that we would know your heart, that we'd know your passion, we would know your boundless love, your endless forgiveness, and that in these things, O Lord, we would rest securely. Then I pray, Lord, for those of us who found that security, that you would help us, O Lord, to be committed to a lifestyle of thanksgiving, a lifestyle that shares the joy we found in Christ. Just as one beggar might show another beggar where he's found a loaf of bread, we found the bread of life, Christ Jesus our Lord. So bless us with the pursuit to know him, to serve him. And Father, if there's a need of some heart to respond in this moment, maybe even pray over a prodigal, maybe even pray over the one, maybe even pray over someone that they're going to encounter this coming week in Thanksgiving. God, I just pray to open our hearts to be ready to respond to your word as you deem necessary in these final moments. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.